Chapter 10, Part 2 of For the Temple, A Tale of the Fall of Jerusalem by G. A. Henty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dory Smith. Chapter 10, Captives, Part 2. Is this a miracle you have performed, John? The girl said. Can it be true that our captors have been slain and that we are free? Yes, dear, we can continue our journey. But how has it happened, John? How has it all come about? Jonas and I escaped, as I suppose you know, Mary. There was a great confusion and stir upon the road, Mary said, but I did not know what had happened until we got here. Then some of the men said that two of the captives had escaped, and that one of them jumped onto the horse of the officer and overthrew him and had ridden off. They said they were both young, and as I missed you both from among the party, I thought it must have been you. But how did all these men come together? I rode round the country, calling upon the young men in the villages to take up arms, to rescue their friends who had been carried away captive into slavery, and to revenge the destruction which this band of ruffians had caused. There were plenty of brave men ready to undertake the task, and, as you see, we have carried it out. And now, Mary, we had best be going. You see, the others are dispersing fast, and it is as well to be as far from here by morning as possible. A troop of Roman horse may come along, journeying between Citopolis and Capitolius, and if they came upon this camp, they might scour all the country. I am ready, John. What a fate you have saved me from. I have seemed in a dream ever since the Romans met us this afternoon. I have tried to think of what my life was going to be, but could not. When we got here, I tried to weep, but no tears would come. I have been sitting here as still and cold as if frozen, till I heard the notes of a horn. Oh, John, do you know John of Gamala was there? How do you know, Mary? John asked in surprise. One of the young men who was a captive was lying near, and he leapt to his feet when the horn sounded and shouted, There is John of Gamala's horn! We are saved! Did you know he was with you? Yes, I knew he was, John said. You won't say anything against him again, Mary said. Why did you not bring him here to us that we might thank him? Certainly, I will not say anything against him in future, Mary. And now let us be going. I'm very anxious about my poor mother. We will follow the road to the spot where we left her. By the time we get there, morning will be breaking. We will inquire for her at every village we pass through, for I am sure she cannot have gone far. The Romans did not take the asses, but even with them, she could not have traveled far and probably took shelter in the first place which she came to. This proved to be the case. At the first village they arrived at after passing the spot at which they had been taken captives, they heard that, late the evening before, a woman had arrived in sore distress. She was leading two asses, which she seemed too feeble to mount. She stated that her son and daughter had been carried away by the Romans, and she had been received for the night in the principal house in the village. Martha's delight, when John and Mary entered the house where she had been sheltered, was beyond words. She fell on their neck and kissed them with broken sentences of thankfulness to God at their deliverance and it was some time before she was sufficiently calm to hear how their escape had been effected by the night attack upon the Romans by the country people. She was scarcely surprised when she heard that John had effected his escape and summoned the people to rise to rescue them. You told me to trust you to save Mary, John, and I have kept on saying your words over and over again to myself. It seemed to me as if I did not quite understand them, and yet there was comfort in them. I could not even think what you could do to help Mary, and yet it appeared as if you yourself must have some hope. 
As soon as Martha was sufficiently recovered from her emotions to resume their journey, the party started again. They made a detour to avoid hippos for, as John said, there might be inquiries as to everyone who was noticed coming from the direction of the scene of the struggle. They made many halts by the way, for Martha was scarcely able to retain her seat on the donkey, and even Mary was greatly shaken by the event of her captivity and rescue. During the heat of the day, they remained under the shade of some trees, and the sun was setting when they approached the farm. Simon and the men hurried out when the sound of the ass's feet was heard. Martha burst into tears as he assisted her to alight. "'What ails you, wife? I trust that no evil has befallen you, by the way. Where are the maids?' "'Why, Mary, my child, you look pale, too.' "'No wonder, uncle, that aunt is shaken, and that I look pale. For John and I and Jonas were taken captives by the Romans, who carried us off to sell as slaves, leaving poor mother behind.' "'And how, then, have you escaped, child?' John and Jonas got away from them and raised all the country, for the Romans had done much harm, killing and carrying away captives and burning. So when he called them, the men took up arms and fell upon the Romans at night and slew them all and rescued me and some fifty other captives who had fallen into their hands. Simon asked no further questions for the time, but helped Martha into the house and then handed her over to the care of Mary, and half an hour later she had recovered sufficiently to return to the room and sit there, holding Simon's hand in quiet happiness and watching Mary as she resumed her accustomed tasks and assisted old Isaac in preparing supper. Everything looks just as it was, mother. I could hardly have believed things would have got on so well without me to look after them. And there are quantities of grapes on the vine still. They are too ripe for wine, but they will last us for eating for months. And that is ever so much better than making them into wine. She stopped, for Simon had taken his place at the head of the table and offered up thanks in the name of the whole household for the mercies that had been vouchsafed to them, and especially that they were all, once again, assembled together in their house without there being one vacant place. Then the meal began. While it was eaten, many questions were asked on both sides, Simon inquiring about his brother-in-law and his family and the life they had led at the farm, Martha asking after their neighbors, who had suffered and who had escaped without loss or harm. When Isaac and the men retired, Jonas rose also to go, but Simon stopped him. Remain with us, Jonas. Your life has been strangely cast in that of John's, and I would that, henceforth, you take your place as one of the family. You saved his life in Jatapada, and you will henceforth be as an adopted son to me. Martha, I know that you will spare some of your affection for the lad who is as a younger brother to John, and who would, I believe, nay, I feel sure, if need be, give his life for his friend. I would do so indeed, Jonas said simply. He found me an outcast whom none cared for. He has treated me like a brother, and I would gladly die for him. Martha said a few kind words to Jonas, whose quiet and somewhat subdued manner and whose evident affection for John had greatly pleased her, and Mary gave him a little nod, which signified that she gladly accepted him as one of the family. And now, Martha, Simon said, you have not yet told me how proud you must feel in the doings of our son. Our friends here are never weary of congratulating me, and truly I feel thankful that a son of mine should have done such deeds, and that the Lord should have chosen him to use him as an instrument of his will. My dear father, John interrupted, I have told you that there is nothing at all out of the way in what we have done. Jonas and the others did just as much as I did, and methinks that some of them make much more than is needful of our skirmishes, and praise me because in doing so they praise themselves, who did as much as I did. But I do not understand you, Simon, Martha said. 
I know that John fought bravely at Chattopata, and that it was marvelous that he and Jonas escaped when so many fell. Is it this that you were speaking of? What? Has John said nothing about what he has been doing since? Simon asked in surprise. No, father, I said nothing about it, John said before his mother could speak. I thought in the first place that you would like to tell them, and in the next, the people there had heard such magnified reports that I could not for very shame lay claim to be the hero they had pictured to themselves. But what has he done? Martha asked, more and more surprised, while Mary, at his last words, sprang to her feet and stood looking at him with an intent and eager face. He should have told you, Martha, Simon said. It is no light thing that this son of ours has done. Young as he is, the eyes of the people are upon them. For with a small band which he gathered here, he harassed the enemy several days and, boldly entering their camp, destroyed it by fire. Oh, John, Mary said in a low voice, while Martha exclaimed, What? Is the John, of whom we have heard so much, the young man of whom the people speak as their future leader, our boy? You cannot mean it, Simon. There's no mistake about it, Martha. The lad came to me and said he thought that with a small band he could cause much trouble to the Romans. So I told him he could go, not knowing whether he spoke from the restlessness of youth or because it was the will of the Lord that he should go and fight for the country. Indeed, it seemed to many that his marvelous escape from Jatapata showed that God had need of him. So I did not withstand him. There were many from the villages round who were ready to join themselves to him and follow him, for the fame of his escape had made him much talked of. So he went with twenty-four followers and, of course, Jonas here, and truly he did, as all men say, great things. And though he saved not Gamala, as indeed could not have been done, save by a miracle of God with so small a band, he did much, and by the burning of their camp, not only struck a heavy blow upon the Romans, but he inspired the people with hope. Before, it seemed that to resist the Romans was to bring certain destruction upon those who adventured it. Now men see that with prudence, united with bravery, much may be done, and in the spring, John will be followed by a great gathering of fighting men from all the country round. Martha sat in speechless surprise, looking at her son. My dear mother, John said, what I told you before when you were praising the unknown John is equally true now that it is John your son. We acted with common sense, which so far no one seems to have exercised in our struggle with the Romans. We just kept out of their reach and took care never to come to actual blows with them. We constantly threatened them and compelled them, who knew nothing of our numbers or strength, to cease working. As to burning their camp, of course there was a certain amount of danger in it, but one cannot make war without danger. We crept through their sentries into the camp in the night and set it on fire, and then made our escape as best we could. As only one of our number was killed, and he from falling over a precipice, and not by the sword of the Romans, you see, the peril could not have been very great. It was just as I said, that because we did not throw away our lives, but were prudent and cautious, we succeeded. People have made a great fuss about it, because it is the only success, however small, that we have gained over the Romans, but, as my father says, it has certainly had a good effect. It has excited a feeling of hopefulness, and, in the spring, many will take to the field with the belief that, after all, the Romans are not invincible and that those who fight against them are not merely throwing away their lives. It was some time before Martha could realize that the hero, of which she had heard so much, was the quiet lad standing before her, her own son, John. Simon, she said at last, morning and night I have prayed God to protect him, of whom we heard so much. 
little thinking that it was my own son I was praying for. Tonight I will thank him that he has so blessed me. Assuredly, God's hand is with him. The dangers he has run and the success that he has gained may, as he says, be magnified by report. Nevertheless, he has assuredly withstood the Romans, even as David went out against Goliath. Tomorrow I will hear more of this, but I feel shaken with the journey and with the strange news. Come, Mary, let us to bed. But Mary had already stolen away, without having said a single word after her first exclamation. John was at work soon after daybreak, next morning, for there was much to be done. The men were plowing up the stubble, ready for the sowing. Jonas had gone off with Isaac to drive in some cattle from the hills, and John set to work to dig up a patch of garden ground near the house. He had not been long at work when he saw Mary approaching. She came along quietly and slowly, with a step altogether unlike her own. "'Why, Mary, is that you?' he said as she responded. "'Why, Miriam herself could not walk slower.' "'Are you ill this morning, child?' he asked with a change of voice, as he saw how pale she was looking. Mary did not speak until she came quite close. Then she stopped and looked at him with eyes full of tears. "'Oh, John,' she began, "'what can I say?' "'Why, my dear Mary, what on earth is the matter with you?' he said, throwing down his spade and taking her hands in his. "'I am so unhappy, John.' "'Unhappy,' John repeated. "'What is making you unhappy, child?' "'It is so dreadful,' she said, "'to think that I, who ought to have known you so well, "'I, your betrothed wife, "'have been thinking that you were so mean as to be jealous.' For I did think it was that, John, when you made light of the doings of the hero I had been thinking about so much and would not allow that he had done anything particular. I thought that you were jealous, John, and now I know what you have done and why you spoke so. I feel I am altogether unworthy of you. Well, Mary, I never thought you were a little goose before. What nonsense you're talking! It was only natural you should have thought I was jealous, and I should have been jealous if it had been anyone else you were praising so much. It was my fault for not telling you at once. Concealments are always stupid, but I had thought it would give you a pleasant surprise when you got home to hear about it. But instead of causing you pleasure, I have caused you pain. I was not vexed in the slightest. I was rather amused when you answered me so curtly. I think it was cruel of you, John, to let me go on thinking badly of you, and showing yourself in so unworthy a light, that does not make it any less the wrong of me. I ought to have believed in you. You are making a mountain out of a molehill, Mary, and I won't hear any such nonsense. You heard an absurd story as to what someone had been doing, and you naturally made a hero of him. You were hurt by my speaking slightingly of this hero of yours, and naturally thought I was jealous at hearing such praises of another from my betrothed wife. It was all perfectly natural. I was not in the least offended with you or put out in any way, except that I was vexed with myself for not telling you at once that all these fables related to your cousin John. Now dry your eyes and don't think any more about it. Go and pick two of the finest bunches of grapes you can find and we will eat them together. But it was some time before Mary recovered her brightness. The changes which the last few months had made almost depressed her. It was but a year ago that John and she had been a boy and girl together. Now he had become a man, had done great deeds, was looked upon by many as one chosen for the deliverance of the nation. Mary felt that she too had aged, but the change in her was as nothing to that in her old playfellow. It was but a year ago she had been gravely advising him, treating him sometimes as if she had been the elder. She would have treated him now 
if he would have led her, with something of the deference and respect which a Jewish maiden would usually pay to a betrothed husband, one who was shortly to become her lord. But the first time he detected this manner, John simply laughed at her and said, My dear Mary, do not let us have any nonsense of this sort. We have been always equals, you and I, friends and companions. You know just as well as I do that in all matters which we have had in common, you have always had quite as much sense as I, and on a great many matters, more sense. Nothing has occurred since then to alter that. I have grown into a young man, you into a young woman, but we have advanced equally. On matters concerning warfare, I have gained a good deal of knowledge. In other matters, doubtless, you have gained knowledge. And if, dear, it is God's will that I pass through the troubles and dangers that lie before us, and we become man and wife, I trust that we shall always be the friends and comrades that we have been as boy and girl together. It is all very well when young men and maidens have seen nothing of each other until their parents bring them together as man and wife, for the bride to affect a deep respect, which I have not the least doubt she is generally far from feeling in her heart, for the man to whom she is given. Happily, this has not been the way with us. We have learned to know each other well, and to know that, beyond the difference in strength which a man has over a woman, there is no difference between us that one will rule the house and the other will rule the farm, but that in all things, I trust, we shall be companions and equals. I do hope, Mary, that there will be no change in our ways the few months we have to be together now. In the spring, I go up to help defend Jerusalem, and it is no use hiding the fact from ourselves that there is but little chance of my returning. We know what has befallen those who have hitherto defended cities against the Romans, and what has happened at Jotapata and Gamala will probably happen at Jerusalem. But for this reason, let us have no change. Let us be as brother and sister to one another as we have been all along. If God brings me back safe to you and you become my wife, there will be plenty of time to settle exactly how much deference you shall pay me. But I shall expect that, when the novelty of affecting the wifely obedience, which is enjoined upon the females of our race, is past, you will be quite ready to take up that equality, which is, after all, the rule in practice. I shall remember your words, Mary said saucily, when the time comes. It may be you will regret your expressions about equality some day. So, during the winter, Mary tried to be bright and cheerful, and Martha, whose heart was filled with anxiety as to the dangers and trials which lay before them, Jerusalem and the temple threatened, and John away, engaged in desperate enterprises, often wondered to herself when she heard the girl's merry laugh as she talked with John, and saw how completely she seemed to put aside every sort of anxiety. But she did not know how Mary often spent the entire night in weeping and prayer, and how hard was her struggle to keep up the brave appearance which was, she knew, a pleasure to John. He was not much at home, being often absent for days together. Strangers came and went frequently. John had long conversations with them, and sometimes went away with them and did not return for three or four days. No questions were asked by his parents as to these visitors or his absence. They knew that they had reference to what they considered his mission, and, as when he returned home, he evidently wished to lay aside all thoughts of other things, and to devote himself to his life with them, they asked no questions as to what he was doing. He spoke sometimes of these things to Mary, when they were together alone. She knew that numbers of young men were only waiting his signal to join him, that parties of them met him among the hills, and were there organized into companies, 
each with officers of their own choice over them, and that, unknown to the Romans at Scytopolis, there were daily held, throughout the country on both sides of the Jordan, meetings where men practiced with their arms, improved their skill with the bow and arrow, and learned to obey the various signals of the bugle, which John had now elaborated. John was resolute in refusing to accept any men with wives and families. There were other leaders, he said, under whom these could fight. He was determined to have none but men who were ready to sacrifice their lives, and without the care of others dependent upon them. He was ready to accept youths of fifteen, as well as men of five and twenty, believing that, in point of courage, the one were equal to the other. But each candidate had to be introduced by others who vouched for his activity, hardihood, and courage. One of his objects was to avoid increasing his band to two great dimensions. The number of those ready to go up and defend Jerusalem, and eager to enroll themselves as followers of this new leader, whose mission was now generally believed in, in that part of the country, was very large. But John knew that a multitude would be unwieldy, that he would find it impossible to carry out with thousands of men, tactics dependent for success upon celerity of movement. And moreover, that did he arrive in Jerusalem with so great a following, he would at once become an object of jealousy to the leaders of the factions there. He therefore limited the number to 400 men, urging upon all others who presented themselves or sent messages to him, to form themselves into similar bands, to choose leaders and to act as independent bodies, hanging upon the rear of the Romans, harassing them with frequent night alarms, cutting off their convoys, attacking their working parties, and always avoiding encounters with strong bodies of the Romans by retreating into the hills. He said that, although he would not receive more men into his own force than he thought could be easily handled, he should be glad to act in concert with the other leaders so that, at times, the bands might all unite in a common enterprise, and especially that, if they entered Jerusalem, they might hold together, and thus be enabled to keep aloof from the parties of John of Geshala or Eliezer, who were contending for the mastery of the city. His advice was taken, and several bands similar to his own were formed, but their leaders felt that they needed the prestige and authority which John had gained, and that their followers would not obey their orders with the faith which was inspired in the members of John's own band by their belief in his special mission. Their representations on this subject were so urgent that John, at their request, attended a meeting in which ten of these chiefs were present. It was held in a farmhouse, not far from the spot where Gamala had stood. John was embarrassed at the respect which these men, all of them several years older than himself, paid him, but he accepted the position quietly, for he felt that the belief that existed as to his having a special mission added greatly to his power of utility. He listened to their representations as to their want of authority, and to the rivalries and jealousies which already existed among those who had enrolled themselves. When they had finished, he said, I have been thinking the matter well over. I am convinced that it is absolutely necessary that none of the commands shall exceed the numbers I have fixed upon, namely, four hundred men, divided into eight companies, each with a captain. But at the same time, I do not see any reasons why all our corps should not be nominally under one leader. If, then, you think it will strengthen your position, I am ready to accept the general leadership and to appoint you each as commanders of your troops. Then you will hold my commissions, and I will support you in your commands with any authority I may have. At the same time, you will understand that you will, in reality, act altogether independently of me, save and accept when, it seems to me, that we can unite in any enterprise. If we enter Jerusalem, we will then hold together for mutual protection from the factions, 
but even there you will each command independently for did i assume a general command it would excite the jealousy of the leaders of the factions and we should be forced to take part in the civil strife which is devastating the city a cordial consent to this proposition was given by the other leaders who said that the knowledge that they were john's officers would add immensely to their authority and would also raise the courage and devotion of their men who would not believe that they were being led to victory unless they were acting under the orders of john himself remember john said that if misfortune befalls us i have never laid claim to any divine commission we are all agents of god and it may be that he has specially chosen me as one of his instruments but this i cannot say beyond the fact that so far i have been carried safely through great dangers and have been able to win successes over the romans but i do not set up as a specially appointed leader i say this for two reasons in the first place that you should not think that i am claiming authority and command on grounds which may not be justified and in the second place that if i should fall early in the fighting others should not be disheartened and believe that the lord has deserted them i am but a lad among you and i recognize that it is god who has so strangely brought me into eminence but having done that much he may now choose some other instrument if this should be so if as well may be one of you should obtain far greater success than may attend me i shall be only too glad to lay aside this authority over the rest with which you are willing to invest me and to follow him as cheerfully as you now propose to follow me the meeting soon afterwards broke up and the news that john of gamala as he was generally called from the success he had gained over the romans before that town had assumed the supreme command of the various bands which were being raised in eastern galilee and on the east of jordan spread rapidly and greatly increased the popular feeling of hope and confidence fresh bands were formed the leaders all receiving their appointments from him before the spring arrived there were twenty bands formed and organized in readiness to march down towards jerusalem as soon as the roman legions got into motion end of chapter ten recording by dory smith